Okay, can you all hear me now? If you have your bulletin, inside of your bulletin is a brochure. I'd like for you to pull that out. I'd like to mention this to you and uh, let you know what uh, will be happening in two weeks. Actually, less than two weeks because it's Friday the 19th. So not this coming weekend, but the following weekend. We're going to have our dear friend from Florida, Rich Freeman, who is uh, Vice President of uh, Chosen People Ministries. Uh, if I mention the big Jewish guy that comes, the biggest Jewish guy you've ever known, that's, that's Rich, if you remember him, comes every year around this time. We had spoken over the year, this past year, of the need to have a Middle East crisis seminar to get to understand a little bit of what's going on in the Middle East. Rich travels there. He just got back from Israel, as a matter of fact. And uh, he goes at least a couple of times a year. But um, the, the, uh, the important thing is that we realize that when we consider what's taking place in the Middle East today, it is going hand in hand with what the Word of God says. There are times when we need to have ammunition when it comes to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and talk about the truth of the gospel, the reliability of Scripture. And one of the greatest uh, evidences of the reliability of Scripture is what is taking place in Israel as well as the Middle East as a whole. So, let's open up our brochure. You'll notice that it's April the 19th through the 21st, so that's in two weekends. We're going to have a conference starting on Friday, April the 19th, and it says it's, at, it's going to be from 7.30 to 9.30. So now all of you repeat the time of when it will begin at 7.30. Okay, got to remember that. Okay, it's not 7, but you can come at 7. That's good. If you come at 7, you can find your best spot to sit and all of that. All right, so 7 to 9, 7.30 to 9.30. So it's two hours. Um, it's a Friday, so, you know, we want to give everybody some time to get home, kind of take your time, get back here, but get here for 7.30 because we're starting a little bit, little bit of worship, and then we're going to go right into the seminar. And the topic on Friday night is how, do, how did we get to where we are and Rich is going to give a history of Israel from Genesis to today. Now, in some way, it's going to be a little bit of a review because recently we've been talking about the problems of the Middle East because of, of Ishmael and, uh, and, and, and then the others uh, uh, who were um, the other nations that are surrounding Israel today. It all goes back to the book of Genesis. We've talked about this. Uh, and so uh, for some of us, it'll be a little bit of review. But nonetheless, that'll be on Friday night. Then on Saturday morning at 10 o'clock, notice it's at 10 o'clock. A lot of times we start our, our conferences or our seminars at uh, 9 o'clock. But we're giving you an extra hour just to get here. You know, make sure you have your breakfast and get yourself all settled and, and get here. Uh, because you'll be here from about 10 to 2.30. Uh, 10 o'clock there will be a session called Where Are We Going? Which is a glimpse at Ezekiel's prophecy of a coming war. Well, <clears throat> again... In speaking of prophecy and the fulfillment of prophecy, Ezekiel has a tremendous uh, passage from about chapter 27 all the way through, you know, the rest of Ezekiel. But it is so current, and I'm sure that there will be the opportunity uh, for Rich to speak on the nations that today 
are surrounding Israel and are being mentioned back in Ezekiel's prophecy. So there's a lot of connection to this uh, and, and the scriptures. And then in the afternoon on Saturday, what do we do about it? What do we do about the Middle East crisis? And that's going to be his speaking on proclaiming the gospel in light of the Middle East crisis. People need to hear the word of God everywhere. In Israel today, there are many Jews who are coming to the, to the knowledge of their Messiah, Jesus Christ. There are many Arabs who are Muslims that are coming to faith in Christ. Uh, today is the day of seeing God reach out to the, all of these groups. Now, there is still trouble, of course. There is still the tension of war. There are still all of these things. But it doesn't set aside and it doesn't preclude the necessity of the gospel being preached. So I want to encourage you all to please pray about coming. It's free and open. We want you to bring family and friends, especially those who have asked you questions about the Middle East. Those who have asked you, what's going on in the Middle East and what, you know, what, what can we know about it from the scriptures? Well, this is an excellent time to bring them, to let them come and to hear the gospel. And then on, on Saturday night after the conference, of course, we have a church service. Uh, Rich will be speaking then on uh, Isaiah 53 and also on Sunday morning on the 21st. So you have it all here. You have all the information you need. If you want to, you may make copies of this and give it to other people. You, uh, somebody asked if they could take it up to UTEP. I said, man, just make copies. I don't know how many, if we had any extras, but if you need to, just make a copy of this and give it to other, others to come. And again, it's free, uh, and um, we, we just want to honor the Lord in, in what He is doing today. And, and really, prophecy today without the Middle East is nothing at all. It's all about what's happening there now. Prophecy without Israel is nothing, because Israel is the center, the key to all of these things. So, just want to encourage you. And uh, I'll make my last final plea next week. And uh, so I want to encourage you to, to please make plans to come. This morning, I'd like for you to turn to Genesis chapter 27. Genesis 27. You'll notice the title, Appetite, Blessing, and Contention. I'll talk about that within the course of our study. So much has happened in the life of Isaac and Rebekah, or in the lives of Isaac and Rebekah. Two people who knew God and loved God. But we learned something in these chapters here, the previous chapter as well as the chapter we're in, we learn that <clears throat> a principle, and not a great principle, but a, a principle nonetheless was established back in the time of Abraham. Abraham, the father of Isaac, was a man who loved God, served God, believed God, he trusted God. But he was human and he made his mistakes. In the times of his greatest problems, in the times of his greatest trials, when we read his account in the book of Genesis, 
we find periods of time where he's not in communication with God, where he's not praying, where he's not trusting, where he's not really listening to God. And these are years that have affected his life. Long years. Until we see the connection again with God. Until we see that he comes back into fellowship with God. And when he comes back into fellowship with God, now he's trusting the Lord. And now he walks as a man of faith. I mean, we're grateful. We're grateful that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, you know, as men of God are also very human, which kind of encourages us because we're human. And we go through struggles and trials in our lives. But... We have to see what they went through so that we can, so we can see what it is that, that brings us back to the heart of God. So chapter 26, uh, Isaac and Rebekah go through that whole thing that even Abraham and Sarah went through. You know, they lied to, to Abimelech and, and all. And, uh, and then at the end of the chapter, there is a problem be, because their children aren't, especially Esau is going off and marrying a uh, women outside of, of, of their particular faith, as it were, marrying outside of the people that God would want them to marry. So Esau did that, and the end of the chapter was on a sour note, sort of, so to speak. So as we get into chapter 27, we have to understand that that's what's happening here. A lot of tension, a lot of trial. So in verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass, when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see, that he called Esau his older son. And he said to him, My son. And he answered him, Here I am. And then he said, Behold, now I am old, and I do not know the day of my death. Now therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game. For me, and, and make me savory food such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, folks, on the surface, on the surface, this chapter seems to be like many other biblical passages that contain a theme, a tension, a trial or temptation to overcome, and an eventual triumph. Sometimes that's, that's kind of the formula that we see at times. But in fact, here in this passage, we find something that's tragic. Because it's about a man, Isaac, who knew God, and he knew God's will, but he ignored, he ignored it and he refused to do it. He knew God's will, but he refused to do it. So he ignored it. <clears throat> and, excuse me, and the subject focuses upon Isaac's family and their tampering with the will of God. That's pretty much the theme for today. Tampering with the will of God. Now, now how could Isaac, how could Isaac who followed the Lord ever so closely go against God's will? Think about that question for just a moment. How could Isaac, who followed the Lord ever so closely, go against God's will? You know, we put our critical caps on and we look at Isaac and we say, Oh, what a bad guy Isaac is, until we realize the mirror is on our soul. The mirror of the Word of God is, looking, is making us look at ourselves. 
When we look at it from that perspective, we're not so critical. So consider then that answer to this question, how could Isaac, who followed the Lord ever so closely, go against God's will? I mean, this would be incredibly difficult to understand until we remember one thing. We remember the weakness and the desires of our own flesh. We remember the deep cravings to do what we want and what we think is best. Now, without the raising of hands or anything else, when, consider the last time, which could have been this morning, when you knew what was God's will, but you decided to do your own. Maybe that was yesterday, maybe it was last week. But we've all done it. And we come to grips with the fact that our flesh is weak. We are all weak in the flesh. And the desires of our flesh run so deep when there is a conflict between what we want and doing what God says. It does happen, doesn't it? Yeah, okay. Just want to make sure you're here. It does happen. This was the dilemma that Isaac faced. Isaac, a man of God, a man who walked with God, a man who spent times in the evening just talking to God, a man who, who loved God, and yet here he is in this mess. He made the wrong choice. He gave in to the, the desires of the flesh. And it brought to, to mind the lyrics of a song by Rich Mullins. We've sung a few Rich Mullins songs in, in, our, in our time here. One of them, of course, is one we sing a lot, Awesome God. Uh, well, he wrote another song. He wrote a song called, We Are Not As Strong As We Think We Are. Uh, it's a tremendous song title as well as a tremendous song. And, and, and this, is the first, uh, this is the first verse of it. It says, Well, it took the hand of God Almighty to part the waters of the sea, but it only took one little lie to separate you and me. Oh, we are not as strong as we think we are. And then the refrain of the song goes this way. He says, We are frail, we are fearfully and wonderfully made, forged in the fires of human passion, choking on the fumes of selfish rage. And with these hells, uh, with these are hells and our heaven so few inches apart, we must be awfully small and not as strong as we think we are. I think that sometimes we hear preachers on TV or wherever, you know, always say, listen, you're strong in the Lord and you need to be doing this and that. And, you know, you're the king's kid and blah, 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 and this and that. And, you know, you get hyped up and pumped up. But, you know, then you face reality. Then you face the trouble. Then you face a trial. Then you face a call at midnight. And you face somebody telling you something's going on. Somebody's dying. And then you start questioning things. I mean, let's face it. Life is tough. And sometimes we realize we're not as strong as we think we are. We think that Isaac should have been strong. We think that Isaac should have been... I mean, he should have handled this thing right. But he wasn't as strong as he thought he was. You see, Isaac had to have known. Isaac had to have known that it was God's will for Jacob to receive the blessing. He had to have known. It wasn't a secret given only to Rebekah. It was given to them. The inheritance was to become Jacob's. I mean, that was stated by the Lord Himself. Look at the Genesis 25, verse 23. The Lord said to Rebekah, Two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. 
one people shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. There it is. The older shall serve the younger. When you translate that into the culture and, and, and what was going on in that day and time concerning uh, inheritances and firstborn and all of that, this was telling. The older shall serve the younger, which means the younger would receive the blessing. The younger would receive the inheritance. That was a clear word from God. Notice, the Lord said to her. So it's not anybody making this up. The Lord said to Rebecca. And Jacob was to receive the father's blessing and the major inheritance someday in the future. He was going to receive it because God said he would. And I'm sure that after receiving such instruction from the Lord, oh, listen, Rebecca and Isaac, they must have done what any of us would do under such circumstances. They would discuss God's word many times, right? That's what we do. When something of, criti- of that critical na- of nature uh, happens in our lives, we sit down with our spouses and we say, let's, let's think about this. Let's pray about this. Let's consider it. Let's, let's mull over it. I mean, let's pray. Let's do these things. Did they do that? We don't know. We hope they did early on, especially after they heard the prophecy, because that's what it was. It was a prophecy. And I hope that he did that, especially in the early years of their boys' lives. But somehow I would think that Isaac also knew about Esau's irresponsibility and his irresponsible behavior toward family affairs in that Esau had sold his birthright to Jacob over a bowl of lentil soup. That means that he didn't take the birthright birthright very seriously. And, I, and, and, and Jake, uh, I should say, Isaac should have known, probably knew when it happened. And I can tell you who told him. Jacob probably told him. Because Jacob, you know, he was good at that. Hey, Dad, see what your son, your son, your favorite son did? You think he was, you think he was going to try to withhold that? We'll talk about Isaac's response to that. In a little bit. How about now? Did Isaac write this off as a boys will be boys kind of thing? Oh, they're just boys. They're just... Oh, you know, Esau, he's... We need to have a sit down. We haven't had that talk yet. Or or did he go into denial over this because of his favoritism toward Esau? Or did he just purposely forget this? Did he just purposely forget that God said the older would serve the younger? You see, in Isaac, we see a man whose flesh was desperately weak. His flesh was desperately weak. And when we are desperately weak, the the flesh is seeking after things other than what God gives us for our good question is, what does the desperately weak flesh seek? What does it seek? Now, this isn't just saying that this is all in the heart of Isaac. 
No, I, I think that it's a, it's a very broad, broad answer to this question. What does the desperately weak flesh seek? Well, first of all, you know, in some cases it seeks recognition. There are people today that just, you know, seem to do what they do in the church because they just want to be recognized somehow. They don't, they don't remember or realize that the Lord says, if you humble yourself and die to yourself, I will lift you up. I will bless you. I will recognize you. You know, it's better to be recognized by the Lord than to be recognized by people. If people recognize you, you know, well, praise the Lord. What about honor? There's some people today who just, just desire honor. They, 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 they want to be, be held up in high esteem by people. The Scriptures tell us that that's all for Jesus. You know, when we get to heaven, we're going to have crowns and... and, and uh, we're told in, uh, in the book of Revelation that uh, the 24 elders that represent all of the redeemed from all time will be the ones who are casting their crowns in, 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 in response, actually you know, representing each and every one of us that we who have crowns will cast them at the foot of the, of the throne of God. Because the honor belongs to Him. It doesn't belong to us. People want honor today. They want position. They like the recognition and honor that some people get sometimes, even in the ministry, and so they want that position for that reason. The position isn't all that that it's cracked up to be when you think about it. If it's a matter of saying, well, I want to be a pastor because I like the way the pastor, and the people look at the pastor. Hey, folks, I tell you what, when, when you're a pastor, you're at the bottom of the totem pole, not at the top. It's not a pyramid going up to the top. It's an upside-down pyramid. You're at the bottom. Nobody wants to be at the bottom except those that God calls because we understand what the bottom means. So, position, property. Now we get into stuff that, you know, now the flesh. We, We can relate to this. The flesh wants things. Property. The more, the better. The more, the merrier. We have things, then we have to build what? More barns, more sheds, more things to put our stuff in. And and we got them all around town because we want stuff. Money, well, there's no question there. The desperately weak flesh wants money. They want possessions. Power. The desperately weak flesh wants power. They didn't even want security, but also pleasure. Boy, we're a pleasure-laden society today. We've got pleasure coming out of our noses with TV and the Internet and all kinds of things. We're looking for whatever our flesh can get out of pleasure. We'll go to far distances. We'll spend great amounts of money just to fulfill that bit of pleasure. That's what the weak flesh desires. All within that, there's a little bit of what Isaac is desiring. But there are two things that we need to remember in committing ourselves to obey the Lord and in diligently seeking to please Him. Now, understand, we need to obey the Lord and we need to diligently please Him every day. We need to seek it and when we seek it, we need to find it And when we find it, we need to do it. We need to obey the Lord 
and we need to diligently seek Him and diligently seek to please Him. But there's two things we have to remember. First of all, what, what it says in Jeremiah 17, verses 9 and 10, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things. And, and the Lord here is talking about the heart of man. The heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Well, God knows it. Verse 10, it says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. So that's the first thing we need to remember. The weakness of the flesh because of the desperately wicked heart. But then we also need to remember what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 9 and 10. Because he says, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him, to God. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's what we need to remember here. Because it says that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. It's a time of reward, but it's also a time of correction. And may I say to you that there is a judgment for everybody that's in this room today. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you will stand before Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ, which Paul is referring to here, and, and, and you'll be judged according to the things that you've done on, uh, on behalf of Christ. But you will be rewarded, and you'll, you're not going to lose salvation or anything of that nature. There is another judgment for those who do not believe in Jesus Christ, those who do not respond to Jesus or respond to the gospel, those who reject the Lord, ignore Him, don't even believe that He exists. There's another judgment. It's called the white throne judgment of God. And all who reject Jesus will have to stand at that judgment. So no one gets away from judgment. Even believers have to stand before God and before Christ. Another factor in Isaac tampering with God's will is that he acted in secret. He acted in secret. You see, if we trust God, we don't have to act in secret. Because our lives are out there for people to see as being lived for Christ. In Genesis 27, verse 1, going back to the, the first verse that we read earlier, Now it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see, that he called Esau, his older son, and he said to him, My son, and he answered, Here am I, or here I am. So understand, he calls out for his son. Now he has two sons. He has Esau and Jacob. <clears throat> but everybody knows how much he loves Esau. So if he says, my son, who responds? Esau. He calls no one else. And this is significant. No one else was called or told of the great occasion about to take place. See, it's a secret. We don't know what's going to happen. But Isaac is planning something that's supposed to be a great event for everybody. There's supposed to be witnesses there. There's supposed to be people there to see this blessing passed on. So this fact strongly suggests that Isaac knew he was disobeying the Lord. He calls no one else there. Now, I, I have to ask you, how many of you like to, to give surprise parties? No hands go up. Liars. Some of you do that, huh? You give surprise parties. You gather a bunch of people. Yeah, this guy, so-and-so's coming. We're going to, it's a surprise, right? You love it, yeah. 
I, I like surprises too. I, I, uh, I have to tell you a story. I, w- one time somebody called the office. They wanted to do a surprise birthday party for me. So they asked one of the secretaries, is it okay to have a surprise party for Pastor Charlie? She said, well, hold on. She put, it, put them on hold and came and asked me. She says, they want to have a surprise party for you. <laughs> and I said, that's fine with me. By the way, she didn't do that because she, she, she only did that because I told her. If anybody ever called like that, you come and tell me. <laughs> and I was surprised. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, we don't like surprises. Another thing happens. Consider also that Isaac suggested that the time was short. Verse 2, he says... Behold now, I'm old. Yeah, 137. And he says, I do not know the day of my death. And that's true. We don't know, do we? He says, I don't know the day of my death. And aside from the fact that this 137-year-old man was going to actually live another 43 years, aside from that fact, And aside from the fact that his two sons were about 77 years old at this time. So by the way, forget thinking that Isaac and, I'm I'm sorry, Jacob and Esau, you know, wore their caps to the side and their pants down here. Yeah. Aside from all of that, no, 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 they were 77 years old. Isaac had some sense that he could die at any time. His sight had deteriorated over his, and his overall health was not what it once had been. And so he thought it best to bestow the blessing and inheritance of the family upon his firstborn and his favorite son Esau. But this favoritism got him in trouble. This favoritism was to be, uh, was actually to a great extent a conditional love. Now we know that we're not to love our children conditionally. We need to love them unconditionally. All of them, every one of them. No matter what they kind of are turning out to be, we need to love them unconditionally, never favoring one over another. Unfortunately, we do that. Unfortunately, we find that, that sometimes some of our children have certain gifts or talents and we, you know, we want to, man, we, we start focusing on this one and the others aren't getting that same kind of treatment, you know. I mean, you mean well, but that doesn't always go very far in the hearts of those who are feeling left out. You understand what I'm saying. But Isaac's, you know, Isaac favored Esau's manliness. He favored his outdoor sporting abilities, his recreational endeavors, while ignoring, while ignoring Esau's lack of spiritual development. When do we see Esau uh, sit, you know, or Isaac sit Esau down and say, Esau, you need to listen to all the things that your grandfather Abraham taught us. And you need to get right with God. You need to know that God exists, that God loves you, that God has been with us. He's walked with us. He's talked with us. And I've talked with Him. Where do we see this? In either Esau or Jacob. But especially Esau because Esau was his favorite son. He ignored uh, Esau's lack of family business opportunities. The birthright, you see. The birthright was a serious thing. He didn't take it seriously. Esau didn't. But then again, does Isaac? 
But then we see that he also loved the taste of wild meat brought to him by Esau. He loved it. Look at verses 3 and 4. He says, Now therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver and your bow. The quiver, of course, was what held the arrows that he went out to shoot. And he, and he says, Go out to the field and hunt game for me. And I want you to notice every underlying passage. Go hunt game for me. And make me savory food. Such as I love. I'm emphasizing for a reason here. And bring it to me that I may eat. That my soul may bless you before I die. I, I, me, me, I, I. I think Isaac had an eye problem. And there's no optometrist that could help him. Because it was a matter of the heart. He has broken fellowship with God. Where is God here? Besides the fact that the Lord had said it was the older to serve the younger. So that's a major problem. That is letting us know how far we can get from God even if we've known God. It is not God who leaves us, it is us who leave Him. But Isaac, he followed the custom of the day. See, this is where he starts to rationalize. He follows the custom of the day, which was that of celebrating the occasion of the blessing, because the blessing was an extremely important thing. And and you celebrate the occasion of the blessing with a meal or a feast. So he says, go out and get it for me. What is he going to tell everybody else? You don't have a feast and a meal without everybody else. So is he going to surprise them? It is yet to be known whether Isaac was planning to surprise the rest of the families as he only called the son of honor to his side. And the fact that the request was so focused on the appetite of Isaac makes it appear as if Isaac was just rationalizing within his own mind that he was doing what would please God by doing what was customary. You know, we think the same way. We think God is blessed because we come to church. Whether our minds and our hearts are into whatever's going on or not. All right, we are inside the building, Lord. I mean, that's got to count for something. Right? We're all inside the church today. It's got to count for something. Even though right now I'm thinking about the final four. Or I'm thinking, who's going to win the Valero Open this afternoon for you golf fans? Or maybe I'm thinking, boy, those enchiladas are already starting to smell or whatever, you know. I mean, we got a lot of things on our minds, but we don't have communion and fellowship with the Lord right now. See, we're, we're banking on the customary to be the blessing. I'm here, Lord. Bless me. But your, your heart is far from Him. That's rationalizing. And the reason why we rationalize is because we've let our appetites get in the way. I use the word appetites on purpose. It's our fleshly desires. But we let our appetites get in the way of accomplishing and fulfilling the will of God in our lives. So I have a question for you. Do we ever or often let some of our appetites get in the way of fulfilling God's will in our lives? Do we ever 
or often let some of our appetites get in the way of fulfilling God's will in our lives. Now, there's an interesting verse that is given to us at the beginning of Proverbs 23. I want you to go there and look especially at verse 2, but let's read verses 1 through 3. Here the proverb says, When you sit down to eat with a ruler, a king or a prince or somebody of high honor and prestige, uh, if you're asked to go, when you sit down to eat with a ruler, consider carefully what is before you. In other words, if you are a believer in God and in Christ, you need to have wisdom and discernment. He says, consider carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you are a man given to appetite. Now, folks, this is not condoning suicide. It's not what it's about. It says, put a knife to your throat if you are a man given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Now, the gist of this proverb is that if you're invited to a banquet hosted by a a person of prestige, you ought to be humble and restrained. You ought to be humble and restrained. If you're tempted to be gluttonous, you should restrain your appetite. Oh, listen, we need to learn that lesson when we go to a buffet. Or, you know, you have a, a family gathering with a whole lot of people, you know, maybe a family reunion, and, and, and there's plates and plates of food and, and trays and trays of stuff. And, and, you know, everybody has a habit. And you know what the habit is? Counting how many times you go to the table. So show wisdom. Show restraint. Be humble. And this is the gist of this particular proverb. In a bit of humor, the guest is advised to put a knife to their throat rather than to the food. As a caution to cut back on gorging on such wonderful food, which, by the way, are caused, the food is called deceptive because it is probably being given to people as a buttering up approach or a buttering up event. We've got to butter you up. We want something from you, so eat to your heart's content because I'm going to get it from you later anyway. So that's the gist of that. But I, I mention it because fleshly appetites, fleshly appetites can get us in trouble if we are not careful to curb them through prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. The problems that Isaac and Rebekah had were because they set aside the their, 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 their time alone with the Lord, their fellowship with God in prayer, they set, a time, they set aside the, the Word of God that was given to them and the power of the Holy Spirit. They set it all aside to figure things out for God, to say, let's, let's, let's help God, but instead you're tampering with God's will. And that's what got them in trouble. Throughout this chapter, we see Isaac, a man who knew and loved God, a man who meditated and prayed in the fields at evening, a man who petitioned God on behalf of his wife. Now he wants only one thing. He wants a savory meal prepared by his favorite son Esau and living by his feelings more now than living by his faith. Isaac is living by his feelings more now than living by his faith. He depended on his appetites and in his senses of taste and touch and hearing and smell, all of them we'll see in this chapter. Today it's mostly taste. Now, in his depending on appetites, could we call that taking the scientific evolutionary approach rather than the spiritual approach? Science today is all about Tasty, touchy, feely, all this kind of stuff. 
observable evidence, you know, they say. But what we see is that it would fail him. It would fail him to be dependent upon his flesh. This is why I'd like for you to turn to Proverbs 19 while you're still in Proverbs. Let me have it, please. There it is. Verses 20 and 21. Listen to counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter days, Isaac. It's almost as if this was written for him. Listen to counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter days. Here he is, 137, and he's not being very wise. There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. Man's plans will come and go. I think all of us, if not most of us, but all of us, should kind of feel secure in the fact that we are all good planners, right? We all plan well. We all make good plans for our lives, the rest of our lives. Sometimes we can boast in, in the fact that, boy, man, when I, when I get ready to plan a vacation, I plan it down a few months, you know, five, six months down the road. We've got everything ready. We pay less money this way, blah, 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 this and that. We're great planners. And on the day that you're getting ready to leave, the night before you get a call and somebody says, so-and-so in your family has passed away. What happened to your plans? No speak English. Do you go? You see, we have to realize there are unexpected events that happen in life. Because that's the way life is. And it's okay to make plans. It's, it's, you know, man can make plans, but remember, the Lord has to be involved in them. There are times, as, as uh, having been a police chaplain for 10, 11 years now, and, and over these years, hundreds of, hundreds of times, I have to confess to you, getting calls at 12, 1, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, sometimes 4, sometimes 5 in the morning, getting calls. Chaplain is needed on the other side of town. It's always the other side of town. It's never across the street. It's always on the other side of town. But I confess to you that the first reaction is usually fleshly. First of all, you can't find the phone. Then you finally find it and you say, oh. And they say, chaplain is needed, uh, so-and-so place. And, and okay, you got the information. Then you say, I can't even open my eyes. This is ridiculous. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. Okay, water, eyes open, okay. You drink a half a bottle of mouthwash. No, don't do that, don't do that. No, it's not recommended. But you know, you just don't get ready, you're trying to find your uniform, good to go. yeah, and get going, all right? And, and, but, but you know what? That's the first reaction. But as soon as you get in your car, you start praying, you realize you have a, you have a calling, you have a mission. You're going to meet people you probably never met and you probably never know again. But they need God. They need the Lord. They need somebody who represents God to comfort them. And finally, you're focused on what you need to do. But many times, you see, because of our plans, our first reactions are always fleshly. 
Unfortunately, sometimes they stay fleshly. And we get mad at God. And we get mad at everybody else. But the counsel of the Lord, that will stand. God's counsel will not change. It will stand. So it's best then to go with His plans. Okay, now, uh, we've got to move along here. Well, we've discovered that Isaac's sin was tampering with the will of God. Rebecca's sin was attempting to work out God's will before God's time through deception. She thought she had a better plan because it involved something that God had already said, but she's going to help God out with this thing, but he's, she's going to help God out with deception and scheming. Read Genesis 27, verses 5 through 17. In your Bibles. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son. Oh, by the way, Rebekah's eavesdropping. Listening through the tent. What's going on over there? And Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make savory food for me, that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, obey, listen, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me from there two choice kids of the goats, and I will make savory food from, from them for your father such as he loves. Then you shall take it to your father that he may eat it, and that he may bless you before his death. Now Jacob says, okay, mom, that's a, that's a fairly good plan, but there's a couple of problems. So he says to Rebekah, his mother, look, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man. I said, Mom, uh, you know, Esau, uh, uh, Jacob says to, to Rebecca, Mom, uh, I mean, he's hairy. He really is. His nickname is Harry. We call him Harry. His hair has hair. His hair grows hair. There's hair upon hair with this guy. It's like the wolf man, Mom. And I, he says, and I am a smooth-skinned man. I'm streamlined. When I run, I whistle. I'm sorry to add to the scriptures. Forgive me, Lord. Let's forget all that. At least I know you're awake. He goes on and he says, Perhaps my father will feel me and shall seem to be a deceiver to him. Hello, Jacob, you are a deceiver. It's your name. And I shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. How noble. Only obey my voice and go get them for me. And he went and he got them and brought them to his mother. And his mother made savory food such as his father loved. And then Rebekah took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And then she gave the savory food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. And Jacob looked like he was out there for Halloween. And probably smelling as bad as Esau smelled when he came home. Because he, he didn't do his own laundry, he brought it to his mom. That's why his mom had the... Right? Moms, you do your laundry for your kids still? You know, re- remember this? Esau's 77 years old. He's got two wives. But the mom has the, the laundry. <laughs> Go figure. All right. We've heard now the scenario here, what's going on. It was Sir Walter Scott in his poem, Marmion, who, who wrote this famous line. I'm, I'm sure you've all heard it in some way or, or at one time or another. Oh, what a tangled web we weave 
when first we practice to deceive. <laughs> what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. One great lesson to learn from this account would be that the life of faith is a life lived without scheming. If you write anything down, would you write that down? The life of faith is a life lived without scheming, without deceiving. The life of faith is a life lived without scheming or deceiving. Because when we put our trust in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we have no reason to scheme or to make deceptive plans just to accomplish what is already in God's plan. It was already in God's plan that Jacob would be given the inheritance. It was already in God's plan that Jacob would receive the blessing. But we have to wait for God's plan to be brought forth, not to help him out with it, with our own plan. That's what Rebecca was doing. She couldn't wait. She responded because of what Isaac had said to Esau. Go out and do this. I'm going to bless you. She knew exactly what he meant. The great event was about to take place. He feels like he's about to die. God gives him another 43 years, but he didn't know that. Abraham had learned those lessons in his life to the extent that the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11 contains these words on the secret of of Abraham's life. He says, by faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Abraham had failed and faltered, but he always picked up with faith. He always trusted God. Abraham, are you going to listen to me now? Yes, Lord, I trust you. I I believe you. I believe that I'm going to have children. I don't care how old I am. I'm pretty old now, but I I believe it. And he believed God. And Isaac should have learned from these lessons. And Rebecca should have learned from these lessons. Now, Rebecca also had that problem of eavesdropping when Isaac sent out for for Esau. Overhearing, she stayed close by to learn what was happening. Later on in this chapter, it appears that she also set up a network to help her keep abreast of family matters. But this reveals a tragic separation between she and Isaac. There was a tragic separation in this marriage. There was a tragic separation uh, where there was uh, no communication. You could even call it excommunication in essence. There was no communication between these two people who are supposed to be one in the Lord and one in marriage. They were one time so dedicated together to the Lord, each one, each, uh, and they were dedicated to each other, but now they were no longer seeking the Lord together. They were no longer in God's Word together. They were no longer praying together. This is a problem in homes today, especially homes that, that involve people that, you know, that, that are supposed to know the Lord. People that go to church in one week, you know, I mean, week in, week out. Here is the result of contention. Now we can explain a little bit about this title. Appetite, blessing, and contention. The appetites of Isaac. The blessing of the wrong guy, Esau. The contention between Isaac and his wife, Rebecca. They are the ABCs of tampering with God's will. They are the ABCs of tampering with God's will will. Notice what Rebecca feels she has to do to stop Isaac, which means she didn't have enough faith in the Lord to believe that God could work the whole situation out. That he could bring the blessing upon Jacob some other way. 
She took Jacob and she suggested that he was going to lose out and, by, and be bypassed and that God's will was not going to be fulfilled in his life. She told him that Isaac was scheming to give the blessing and inheritance to Esau and if that happened then God's will for Jacob had been defeated and he would lose out in the inheritance. But didn't God promise? And doesn't God keep all of his promises? Did he not keep his promise to Abraham when he said, I'm going to bring you so many children you can't even count them? Did he not keep that promise? Did he not keep that promise that he would have his son Isaac through Sarah, not through anybody else? He kept all those promises. And yet here, Rebecca is not trusting the Lord. By the way, did I mention that Jacob was Rebecca's favorite son? There's another problem. Back with favoritism here. Did this favoritism cloud Rebecca's vision that would cause her to take matters into her own hands? Because that's what she was doing. What she did was seek to take control of the situation, and Jacob as well, to deceive her husband. Now can you imagine? She wants to take control of Jacob, and I'm thinking, he's 77 years old. He could take care of himself. She wants to take control. Even though she was in her hundreds, she wanted to take control. That's what happens, you see, when we tamper with the will of God. So she suggested a human method to achieve God's will. Does that work? When you, when you suggest a human method to achieve God's will? She told Jacob to bring two young goats to her so she could cook them and make them tasty just like Isaac enjoyed. And then Jacob could take them into his blind father and, and receive the blessing himself. And as Isaac rationalized his actions by following custom and having a feast prepared for the occasion, Rebecca also rationalized, which by the way means to, uh, to reason falsely. She rationalized her plan and was convinced that it was, it was a just plan. In other words, and you've heard this before, the ends justify the means. But do the ends always justify the means? Is that a good way of living? I mean, we want God's will, but how about if we get it our own way and not God's way? You see, the ends don't justify the means. Isaac was now dependent on his physical senses while Rebekah was depending on the wisdom of the world. Remember this. Both things lead to trouble. When you depend upon your physical senses, when you depend upon that which is physical, that which is material, that which is sensual in your life, when you're putting more faith in those things, when you're, when you're putting more faith in your feelings, we are not called to live by feeling, we're called to live by faith. Our feelings will be pulled along by our trust and our faith in God. But our feelings do not motivate or feed our faith. We could feel just all kinds of things, but if our faith is in the Lord, it doesn't matter what we're feeling. God is still honored if we trust Him, no matter what. I want you to consider this passage of the book of James, because if, if anything, this is, <clears throat> this is actually the marginal notes to Genesis 27. These are the marginal notes to Genesis 27. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Isaac trusted in his senses, depended upon them. 
Rebecca trusted in the wisdom of the world. Verse 14, but if you have a bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, you think there was some envy in this family? There was a whole lot of envy in this family. Once you start playing favorites in a family, man, there is envy and self-seeking going on. But if you have bitterness and self, bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. Because this wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, notice this, earthly, of the earth, of the world. It is sensual, it is about feeling and, and how you feel, but most importantly, it is demonic because it comes from the pit of hell. It comes from the one who brought sin and death into the garden in Genesis chapter 3. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That's the way it needs to be. That's the way it should have been. Rebecca, convinced that her cause was just, would herself bear the curse if the plan failed. That's noble, I said, but... And by the way, verse 13 of our text. But here's the thing. She skillfully prepared every eventuality. I mean, she had this all worked out. She prepared the tasty meal. She handled the problem of Isaac's keen sense of smell by having Jacob wear Esau's clothing. Apestoso. And she handled the problem of Jacob's smooth skin by gluing the goat skin to his hands and his neck. And then she sent Jacob with the meat to feed his father and receive the blessing from him. And we'll see how that all turns out next time. But there is only one problem, folks. There is only one problem when we devise human plans and ways to bring about God's will in our lives. One problem in three parts. Are you ready? Our plan is not God's plan. Our plan is not God's plan. Our way is not God's way. Our timing is not God's timing. Our ways are imperfect. His ways are all perfect. His ways are always perfect. Ours are not. That's the problem here. How do you input our imperfect will to accomplish God's perfect will? What we must do, therefore, is to continually seek God's face and wait upon Him until He shows us beyond question that it is time to act. Have you waited upon God for the answers to the burdens of your hearts and of your lives? Have you taken seriously the words of Isaiah chapter 40 verse 31 that says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Have we taken time to examine that and then to apply that to our lives? To wait upon the Lord? That's the time when I think that we, that, that, that we have too many counselors out there, even Christian counselors. 
We haven't waited long enough. We haven't prayed. We haven't sought the face of God with an open Bible and an open heart. We haven't confessed our, you know, those things that are getting in the way between our prayers and the Lord. We need to lay those things down. That's why I've emphasized from the beginning of this service today that I hope we've come in here empty so that when we leave, we leave full. Full of God's wisdom, full of God's grace, full of God's word, and full of the desire to do those things that honor and bless Him, that allow Him to do His plan in and through our lives. And then to live and rejoice in that, knowing that God goes with us and God is the one who activates all of that in us and responds to our faith and our trust and our confidence in Him. But until then, God doesn't need our help. God's plan is perfect. Remember Psalm 18, verse 30. Remember this. As for God, His way is perfect. We don't have to say much more than that, do we? As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in Him. So the question is, am I trusting Him today? Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. Are our thoughts and are our ways any better than God's? What he's saying is they don't even come close. You know who gets all the gold stars and the A pluses? Jesus. But He puts them on us because we trust Him. He's not waiting around for us to do an essay on our, on our plans. Because He knows us too well. Did you know that? He knows us so well that if we were God, we wouldn't like us very much. But He loves us. That's why I'm so thankful he's God and, and I'm not. He loves us so much. He wants us to have the best because he's given us his best. He gave us Jesus. We're going to rejoice in that today. Because you see, the answer to all of these things that Isaac and Rebecca have gone through all come back to the cross. It all comes back to the body of Jesus Christ broken for us. It all comes back to the blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness and remission of our sins. Isaac and Rebecca and Esau and Jacob's situation was as much one to be covered by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ as our very own. And it was Jacob receiving the blessing because it was going to be through Jacob that Messiah would come. You see the importance of that now. 
But there didn't need to be scheming or deception. There's nothing hidden here when it comes to our lives other than the fact that we all know what our sins are. We don't need to go around telling everybody what they are. God knows them already. But if we lay them before the throne of grace, we leave here empty of those sins but filled with His grace, filled with His Spirit, filled with His goodness, filled with His... With, with, with every gift that He wants to give us because He loves us so much. So I pray that by this time, as we receive the cup and the, and the, and the bread, that we're not ready to empty ourselves, to be filled with the goodness of God's mercy and God's grace. And remembering what Jesus Christ did for us, on the cross 2,000 years ago. Are you ready? You're not ready? The enchiladas can wait. This is more important. Let's pray.